I thought today we would have a, I thought we would have a class. <laughs> uh, unless there's any other requests, I was thinking about a, a particular uh, verse that kind of stuck in my mind today. I was listening to a class of Srila Prabhupada yesterday, and he got on this verse. It's one of my favorites. Uh, if there's any any requests, we could do something else. Is there a particular verse anybody has in mind? Huh? We're going to talk about, uh, with your permission, we'll go to uh, second canto, seventh verse. Sweet verse. Very important. Shula Prabhupada says this is one of the most important verses in Bhagavad Gita. And you'll see why. Karpanya dosho pahata swabhavaha prichami tvandharm sumura chetaha yatstriya shan nishchitan dhritan me sishyasteham shadimam tvam prapanam You can't have that. I need that over here. Translation. Now I am confused about my duty and have lost all composure because of miserly weakness. This is Arjuna speaking. Arjuna is a mighty warrior. He was the mightiest of the mighty. He's, he's like uh, the Rambo of the times. You know, he knew not fear. He knew not weakness. He didn't. So here he is in this battlefield and he's got to go to war against his kinsmen. And he feels like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. These people, I know, I grew up with these people. So I don't know if I can kill them. So, after speaking with Krishna and arguing back and forth and making arguments on why he didn't want to, he's coming to this realization. He says, Karpanya dosho, Karpanya. Miserliness. Karpanya is a miser, stingy. Keep it to myself. Think of me only. Uh, dosha, the weakness of miserliness. He starts out by this weakness of miserliness. He says, now I am confused about my duty and I've lost all composure because of miserly weakness. In this condition, I am asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now, I am your disciple and a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. So, Srila Prabhupada says, By nature's own way, the complete system of material activities is a source of perplexity for everyone. In every step there is perplexity, and therefore it behooves one to approach a bona fide spiritual master who can give one the proper guidance for executing the purpose of life. All Vedic literatures advise us to approach a bona fide spiritual master to get free from the perplexities of life which happen without our desire. <clears throat> They're like forest fire that sometimes blazes without being set by anyone. Sometimes in the dry season in, in India and other places too. But in bamboo, in the bamboo forest, when it's really dry, the wind blowing, the bamboo rubs and starts fire. Fire starts. You know, it's, it's not from careless camping or what. It just starts. Sometimes lightning can strike a tree and start a fire. So we don't want fire. Fire comes. So Prabhupada says they are like that forest fire. Uh, similarly, the world situation is such that perplexities of life automatically appear. 
without our wanting such confusion. No one wants fire, and yet it takes place, and we become perplexed. The Vedic wisdom therefore advises that in order to solve the perplexities of life and to understand the science <coughs> of the solution, one must approach a spiritual master who is in the disciplic succession. A person with a bona fide spiritual master is supposed to know everything. One should not therefore remain in material perplexities, but should approach a spiritual master. This is the purport of this verse. So I'm going to pause here and, and work and talk on this chapter. I mean, on this um, uh, this paragraph. Notice that Shil Prabhupada is expect he's he's asking the perplexed individual to seek out a spiritual master. You see. Now he's talking though. A person with a bona fide spiritual master is supposed to know everything. One should not therefore remain in material perplexities but approach a bona fide spiritual master. So sometimes people, when they hear this, they think, well, we'll hold, it, hold everything here, time out. How can a spiritual situation solve my material perplexities? I got a material problem here. You know? Uh, my company is about to go out of business, and I'm about to lose my job. So what can approaching a bona fide spiritual master do to help me here? You see? I don't understand. I've got this perplexity, this problem that's about to happen in my life. You know, my uh, my broker ran away and stole my 401k. Now I don't have a retirement. And now you're saying I should, for my material perplexity, I should pr approach a spiritual person. How is this? How does this make sense? You see. So. We can see that sometimes people have spiritual problems and they try to solve them with material means. You see? They think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation or that situation, so uh, maybe if I get a job <clears throat> and, I, and I make more money, then I'll solve the spiritual problem that I have. You see? We've all, we all taste that sometimes. So we try to solve. Uh, spiritual problems with material uh, resources. We try to find out how can I solve. Have you ever noticed that? You ever talked about, you know, hi oh, Prabhu, I'm having so much trouble with my sadhana and everything. Well, what are you going to do? I think I want to move into a bigger house. You know, I need uh, I, I need more of this or I need more of that. You see, that'll that'll help me. And then once I get situated, I'll be more comfortable. And then I can go chant. You see, I'll, then I'll, I want to get rid of my perplexity that I'm having uh, by uh, doing something material. See, you can't solve a spiritual problem uh, with a material solution. Prabhupada indicates here that you can, however, solve a spiritual problem, or a material problem that is, with a uh, material solution. You can solve a material problem with a spiritual solution. You see? So you can uh, you can solve what ails you materially, what's bugging you, what's messing up your life, uh, with a spiritual solution. Prophet says that spiritual solution is approach bona fide spiritual master. You need a guru. 
So some people wonder, oh, how can the guru help me? You know, I don't, I'm not dealing with anything about God right now. I just have this material thing, you know, this bamboo forest caught on fire and burned my house down. You know, now I got to figure out what to do. You see, so how can my guru help me with that? All right, so we'll, we'll, I'm going to go on and we'll, we'll address that later. Who is the man in material perplexities? It is he who, is not, who does not understand the problems of life. In the Brihat Aranyaka Upanishad 3, 8, 10, the, perplexity, the perplexed man is described as follows. Yovaitadaksharam gargi avidvitvas vasmal lokat pradshakripanaha. He is miserly. He is a miserly man who does not solve the problems of life as a human and who thus quits this world like cats and dogs without understanding the science of self-realization. This human form of life is most valuable asset for the, for the living entity who can utilize it for solving the problems of life. Therefore, one who does not utilize this opportunity properly is a miser. On the other hand, there is the Brahman, or he who is intelligent enough to utilize this body to solve all the problems of life. So, in this, in, in the Brihat uh, Aranyaka Upanishad, this situation, this very uh, uh, subject, is addressed. The man, who, the man in material perplexities. The only material perplexity that you have is that you don't know the meaning of life. Everything else is incidental. You see, if I don't know who I am, what I am, who are you, and how do we relate? Who is this? What is this world, and how do I relate to it? Is there a God? What is? If there is, what is He like, and what does He want from me? If we don't solve these problems, we can't solve any perplexity that we have. But if we do solve this problem, all the perplexities go away. You see, if they don't go completely away, they're minimized, and at least the way we deal with them changes, you see. If uh, material advancement is all I have, and most people in this material world feel that's all I have, you know, I need to get a good, uh, I need to get a good education, I need to get a good job, I need to find a good mate, I need to find a good school for my children, and, I, and we do need all those things, you see. I need to get good transportation, I need a good dwelling, we do need those things. But that's just the beginning of what we actually need. We need those things. But above that, even if we have none of those things, but we understand the meaning of life, life is successful. In the Upanishads here it says that if you don't understand uh, um, what is the meaning of life, then you've wasted this human form of life. You see? Even uh, the animals, they're trying uh, for economic development. They're looking for a better hole to, to spend the winter in. You know, last year I was in a hole in the tree, the squirrel's thinking, 
was in a hole in a tree and you know the wind kept blowing up my back you know this year I want to find a hole where I can get all the way up in that tree so the wind doesn't hit me you know and uh, I stored nuts last winter and I ran out of the nuts in January you know geez that was that was rotten so I, I need a bigger place and to store more nuts for the winter and that uh, female squirrel that that I had we were sharing the nest and uh, now she's gone so I needed to get another find another female squirrel you see <laughs> and he may be thinking you know I need to join a better country club so I can meet other squirrels you know I need to meet better squirrels so but to do that I need to go get I need to go to nut gathering school to learn how to nut and uh, just to hunt down and find and store nuts better that way I'll have more nuts than that squirrel over there and that female squirrel she'll be attracted to me and not you you see <laughs> so I don't know if they think like that I've never when I was a squirrel I don't remember I know I was a squirrel I'm glad that I don't remember but you see so if we spend our lives uh, thinking about these perplexities and they don't go away they don't go away we can be it's just like some people uh, uh, lesser intelligent people may say but you know they'll see uh, they'll see someone like Dun and Jayaprabhu and you'll say you know what if I had his money if I had his job you know what he's got it easy why you know he's got he's been in his job a long time it's easy for him to find work he's always got money in his pockets if I had his situation I'd be happy you see if I had Bill Gates money I'd be happy you know why I'd have a secure future but don't we think that perhaps poor Bill Gates sometimes worries what if Microsoft were to crash what if overnight somebody could come up with something that well I mean it could it could, it could go south you see his Microsoft stock could go down if it goes down a few dollars he loses millions just think while he's sleeping he could lose 50, 50 million 100 million maybe even a billion dollars so do you think he sleeps well? You know, because he's got overhead, he's got responsibilities too. So he's got his nuts stored for the winter, and he's always worried. You know, what if somebody were to steal or something like that? You know, he's got defense, so he's eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. You know, to get into his house, he's got guards. You can't get in. He's probably have big dogs. You know, and a very expensive. Uh, security system you know so he's eating Srila Prabhupada said let's say that you make five hundred dollars per month and you have enough to eat and when you sit down to eat all you can hold is five chapatis you know by the time you eat you, eat, you, you have five you can't hold any more than five chapatis so let's say now you're making five million dollars per month when you sit down to eat, still you can only eat five chapatis. Just because you have more money doesn't mean your ability to consume food gets any bigger, you know. I can afford to eat uh, 500 chapatis, but I can only hold five, you see. So should I have two helpings of sabji and maybe make it more expensive and gain weight or what? You know what? There's only so much we can eat. 
you see. Uh, it takes six feet by two feet for, uh, for us to take a nap, to, you know, to go to sleep. Now we can do that on a very expensive bed, or we can do that on a very inexpensive bed. Sleeping is the same, as long as you get one that, that you, know, you can sleep. I found this, uh, a couple of years ago, I found this, uh, I had a back problem. So I went to uh, Walmart, and for $8 or something like that, 8 or $9, I got a camping air mattress. You know, and I carry that with me, so when I need it, it's really comfortable. You know, it conforms to my body. It's just like this expensive sleep number bed that they have that costs, there's this expensive bed out there. You know, so it doesn't cost anything, but I rest well on it. Now, if it costs $2,000, <laughs> I don't think I'd rest any better, you know. So, you see what I mean? There's only so much that we really do need for us to be materially uh, pacified. You know, depends, depends on the function of the mind. See, the mind may tell you, "Oh, I need, I need more. I need, I need. I want, I want." You know, but we have to say, "My dear mind, you have enough. What you really need to do is to solve the real problem of life. You know, you need uh, self-realization." So, uh, Prabhupada's instruction here: find a spiritual master, find a guru. By the way, if there's any questions or comments, stop it. Stop me at any time. Any, you know, I'd rather this be a discussion. Although it, I do all the talking, I don't want to do all the talking. I want to hear what you have to say too. So, any any questions or comments before I want to finish this last two paragraphs? Okay. Prabhupada continues: the creepiness or miserly persons waste their time on being overly affectionate for family, society, country, etc., in the material conception of life. Now notice Prabhupada is not picking on family life. He says here, the miserly persons, the creepiness, they waste their time on being overly affectionate uh, for family, society, country, etc., in the material conception of life. You see? Uh, he throws in family, society, country, you know? Uh, some people say, you know, I am a, I, I, I'm an American. I'm proud to be an American, you see. And they work so hard to be American. You know, when you travel outside of America and you stay gone for a long time, it, your um, vision of America changes a little bit when you see the rest of the world. Because it's not the way we see it being here in America all the time, when we go away to other places, and we're, the longer we're gone, the more things change on how we see America. America is a very wonderful place. It's a very wonderful place. But to dedicate our life to country, to uh, community, to family, to dedicate our entire life, we're leaving out the biggest need we have. We need spiritual realization. We, we need that desperately. The more we get spiritual realization, we see that we're all united. All of us, you see. All communities, all states, and all countries, you see. If we can spread spiritual realization, then we'll see. We, we can see, for instance, when we go to Sridham Mayapur, isn't it? When you go to Mayapur, uh, 
Have you been to Mayapur? Oh, you need to go. Everybody should go to Mayapur. It'll be the biggest treat you can ever give yourself spiritually. You probably won't want to leave. Because Mayapur is the center of the universe for Krishna consciousness. I love Vrindavan. Vrindavan is wonderful. I love Puri. I love Govardhan. But everybody in the world comes to uh, Mayapur. There, there may be, for Gorpranim, there may be five, seven thousand devotees there from all over the world. And you find that as an American, you're not that important. You know, we walk around, we're Americans, we're important, you know. We're special. American. Hey, buddy, you're looking at American here. <laughs> Look at that passport. It says USA on it, don't it? Ah, well, I'm proud of that passport. I'm American. You see, then you get over there and you're lost in a sea of people from all over the world in Mayapur. Mostly Russians. There's more Russians, I think, than anybody. You know, many people from India, from uh, South Africa, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, South America, on and on and on. It's just, you're not. You see how Srila Prabhupada has brought the entire world together in one big community. When you look at ISKCON, there aren't any divisions. You see? You're serving in, in South America. I'm serving in North America. He's serving in India. You see? She's serving in Russia. You see how all this is going on. You see all these people from everywhere. And you see how this is happening. This Krishna consciousness is happening everywhere. And it's all the same. And you meet someone from, uh, from Russia. You, you may not speak their language. You know, you don't speak Russian. But one thing you understand is, oh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. You know, if you're in the airport, you know, you get off the plane in Kolkata and you're about to uh, get on the train, I like to take the train not to Mayapur, but most people take a car. I think the train is better. But uh, So you're about to leave the airport and you see right across the room you see somebody dressed as a devotee. Hey! Hare Krishna! And they say, Hare Krishna! And after that you don't understand anything each other says. <laughs> you know, you can say, Mayapur? Yes? Yes? Mayapur? Yes! You know? That's all, you know, you can't say, hey, how are you, where you, you can say, where, 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 oh, where, oh, Russia, ah, Russia. And then after that, you've got to chant Hare Krishna, there's nothing else we can say to each other. Except, you see. So, Srila Prabhupada has brought the whole world together. We don't distinguish. Well, I'm a better devotee you than you because you're, you're Russian. You don't think like that. Hey, Hare Krishna. It, as a matter of fact, when we see our god brothers and god sisters from Russia or South America, our heart warm. We think, ah, look at this. You've come all the way from Russia. And we think just a few years ago, well, it's probably been several years, but it seems like just a few years ago, they couldn't leave Russia to come to India. Could they? No, you couldn't leave Russia. When you lived in Russia before the Iron Curtain fell, before the Cold War was over, you couldn't just get a, a plane ticket and leave Russia and go to 
First of all, you couldn't be a devotee. They weren't going to let you be a Hare Krishna. So you couldn't hop on a plane and go to India for pilgrimage. You see? If you were a diplomat or you had some business, you might be able to uh, finagle it to where you could leave. But now, now Krishna consciousness is caught on like a fire in Russia. The Russians are staunch devotees. They're good. And there's thousands, tens of thousands of them. I mean, you know, Russia is just... And all over Eastern Europe, this movement is spreading like everything, you see. So, it, it, it humbles the American mentality when we go and we see how Krishna consciousness is spreading in these other countries. You know, you think, what's so special after all? You know? It started here. As a matter of fact, I think, wait a minute, it started in America. And you're from Russia. I can't catch up with you. Gosh, it didn't start in Russia until, you know, just a few years ago. Boy, we've had so much of a head start. Boy, I need, I need to be a better devotee and preach harder to catch up with, you know, Eastern Europe, Russia, uh, so many places. I feel like, wow, we're, <laughs> you know, I'm an American. <laughs> Big deal. You know, so it's like that. This Krishna consciousness brings us all together as uh, spirit souls, just pure spirit soul. We see past these bodies. Of course we have different bodies, you see. But we see a soul that's devoted to serving Krishna. It's glorious. We don't see, oh, you're just a foreigner, or you're this or that. Uh, immediately, these, uh, uh, these lines break down. You see, the funny thing is, when you're flying uh, over uh, Europe or over India or over America, you know, wherever, over North America, when you look out of the airplane window, you don't see any lines. You know, there's no lines down there to show you you've just gone from this country to that country. You see, we made up these lines. This is our concoction. You know, on this side of the line is India. Yeah, so you're an Indian. I'm in Pakistan. We made that up. That's not something that that Krishna did. He didn't paint lines. You see. So because of my bodily designation, I'm saying you're this and I'm that and you're that. And you belong over there and I belong over here. You see. And to, to the devotee, those lines don't exist. We're just all serving Krishna. It's like it, there's... What's the difference? If you were to travel through, uh, <clears throat> I went to visit Shiva Maharaj in Hungary a few years ago. And I was amazed at uh, Krishna consciousness in Hungary. You know? And there, very few people there spoke English, but a couple did, a few did. <clears throat> so when I gave class, there would be an interpreter. So we we're communicating. Someone would ask a, a question, the interpreter would tell me. You know, I would speak and he would tell them like that. But I'm looking at devotees, Krishna devotees. No difference. What's the difference? We're all trying, we're all aspiring to please Guru and Krishna. You know, the only thing is when you're giving a class and, uh, in a, to people who speak a different language with an interpreter, sometimes you say something you think is going to be funny. You know, you say something humorous, <clears throat> nobody laughs. <laughs> and then you say something serious and everybody laughs. You know, so, you know, 
I say to the interpreter, that was supposed to be funny. You know? I did that in, in Hungary. I said, that was supposed to be a joke. He said, you know, like that. And everybody went, oh! <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Probably translated that supposed to be doing. Yeah, probably, probably was, he probably was being funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Prabhupada says in the material, this is in the material conception of life we're talking. One is often attached to family life, namely to wife, children, and other members on the basis of what Prabhupada says is skin disease. You see, why should anybody, why should my family be, why should I love them any more or any differently than I love everyone? I mean, we can be affected, you know, there's affection because we, our children, we, uh, uh, we remember when they were tiny and we raised them, and, you see. But our love and mercy goes to other people's children just as well. You see, and other people. You see, the creepana thinks that he is able to protect his family members from death, or the creepana thinks that his family or society can save him from the verge of death. Such family attachment can be found even in lower animals who take care of children. Also, being intelligent, Arjun could understand that his affection for family members and his wish to protect them from death were the causes of his perplexities, although he could understand that his duty to fight was awaiting him. Still, on account of miserly weakness, he could not discharge the duties. He is therefore asking Lord, Lord Krishna, the Supreme Spiritual Master, to make a definite solution. He offers himself to Krishna as a disciple. He wants to stop friendly talks. Talks between the Master and the disciple are serious. And now Arjun wants to talk very seriously before the recognized spiritual master. Krishna is therefore the original spiritual master of the science of Bhagavad Gita. And Arjun is the first disciple for understanding the Gita. How Arjun understands the Bhagavad Gita is stated in the Gita itself. And yet foolish mundane scholars explain that one need not submit to Krishna as a person, but to the unborn within Krishna. There is no difference between Krishna's within and without. And one who has no sense of this understanding is the greatest fool in trying to understand Bhagavad Gita. So again, Srila Prabhupada has covered so many wonderful points here that I don't know if I can do justice to all of them, but um, we are always plagued with people who want to talk, when we start talking about Krishna, we run into people, there's always somebody who's talking about, uh, as Prabhupada says here, the unborn within Krishna, or um, they think of God as the supreme universal energy. Now there's probably a lot of that in Oregon, huh? Up in, you have a lot of people who are just, they chant Om and they know everything. Because I've been taking yoga for three years, so I know everything there is to know. So, and they generally, because I, 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 uh, I do a lot of preaching in yoga studios, so they generally feel that God is uh, just energy, just this whirling energy, and nothing else. 
And they think that, well, it's kindergarten for you to think that there's a person. It's advanced for us to think that God has no form, nor personality, you see. We're more advanced than you. And you can say, well, you know, you really haven't thought this through. You haven't. And they look, oh, what, how, what do you mean? How can you say? And you can ask a couple of questions, you know. Well, do you believe, you believe in this unmanifest uh, universal energy? Well, yes, yes. And you believe that this universal energy, this Godhead, this formless Godhead, uh, is unlimited, all-powerful? Yes, yes. So right now you've got them. You've already won the argument. Because you're saying that the Godhead, although you think the Godhead is unmanifest only, and you're admitting that this Godhead is unlimited, yet you've just placed a limit on this supreme entity just by saying he has no form. If Godhead is unlimited, Godhead has form. Otherwise, he's limited. You see, if Godhead is unlimited, then he has to have personality. To be unlimited, he has to be manifest and unmanifest at the same time or something would be missing. Krishna is one that has nothing missing. So he is manifest and he is unmanifest at the same time. Achetya beta beta tattva, same time, simultaneously one and different, you see. So this is, a, this is the higher understanding and you have a choice. You're not a bad person if you say, well, you know, I don't really, I don't know if I want to get this close. I don't know if I want to get lovey-dovey with Supreme Godhead. You know? you know, I'd rather keep him at arm's length and, you know, no personality, no, I want to worship the unmanifest, you see. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying, well, we're better than you. Our purpose is to let you know there's something other that you can shoot for. There is a personal God. There is a personality of Godhead. And we should also realize that sooner or later we, we come to a position to where we can't figure everything out. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you can't figure, you know, you have to ask a close friend Maybe you're working on a computer or trying to load a program and it won't load and you've got to call a friend that knows how to do it, you know. You've got to call on somebody who has more knowledge. So it's like uh, when you're trying to fix your car, if there's something wrong with your car, you take it to a mechanic. You know, you try to find one that you can trust. You know, when you have uh, pain or some suffering in your body, you go to a doctor. And you take the advice. The doctor says, I have made an examination and you need to do this and you need to do, you have to take this medicine. You see. And you don't say, well, I don't know about that medicine. I think I want some other medicine. So you're surrendering. You're surrendering to the, to the doctor. You know, if your accountant says, look, we need to change the way you make your deductions in your income tax, uh, well, you can't file it this way, it has to be filed that way. You do what the, the accountant says. If you hire an attorney to defend you in a law case, and he says, all right, the law says this and this and this, you don't say, well, I don't think that's true. How do I know? I'm, sur I'm submitting to you because you know more than me. 
Otherwise, I represent myself. You see what I mean? So in all walks of life, we are, we're always seeking higher authority. Although many people want to fight that when it comes to spiritual life. You see? How, how is it that in every walk, every step of life, I'm seeking a higher th authority to help me with a problem? Except when it comes to finding out who I am. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And how can I achieve perfection? You know, what is, it's like Arjuna says, in my current situation, I don't know at all what's best for me. You see, that's an honest, uh, an honest admission. That's humility, you see. It's, Prabhupada says this is uh, a turning point. This is a life-changing moment. These are, and we all have life-changing moments. You know, when you met your wife, that was a life-changing moment. Things changed. Doors opened. You see, all of a sudden you understood so much. You see, when you have children, that's a life-changing. Boy, is that a life-changing event. You see. What, so many things. When you come to the point that you realize, I can't do my spiritual life on my own, that is a life-changing moment. That's when all of us, that's a pivot point, you see. It, it, it's a situation where you can go this way or you can go this way. If you go this way and keep on speculating, you'll end up always perplexed spiritually and materially. If you take the right turn, the perplex, uh, material perplexities are lessened. I say lessened because we learn how to deal with them. It's to the point where the devotee doesn't notice so much the perplexities of life. It's hot here. That's a, it's perplexing because it's so hot, but the devotee doesn't notice it so much. I mean, we know it's hot, but we go on with our service. The, the, the yogi is one who is the, uh, equipoised. You know? uh, he's equal in all situations. What we see in the, in, uh, the material world is people and you probably know a lot of people like this. They, they live in ups and peaks and valleys, ups and downs. You know, They're really happy. They're having a great time. Next week you talk to them and you think they're going to be really happy. And they're kind of down. You know, things aren't just, oh, no. You know, then they're real happy and they're real, they have these ups and downs. And you go through life enough of that and it starts to really tire you out. Who knows what's going to happen next? See, people get a little cynical. They get, you know, they think, well, if something good happens, it's just going to be followed by something bad. Well, that's kind of true. You might have three or four good things happen in a row, and then three or four bad, or whatever. You see, but the yogi is one who gets equipoised. He is the same. He doesn't have the peaks. He doesn't have the valleys. He is always blissful and always satisfied. Do you know what the greatest austerity is for the human mind? It's not bearing the heat. It has to do with that. But what is the biggest, the hardest thing for us to achieve? Peace. Peace. Satisfaction. To be satisfied. Because I'm always wanting something else. I'm hankering. I'm 
hankering for, I don't have. Well, yeah, this is good, but if I had this. And therefore, I, since I don't have it, I'm going to lament. I'm hankering and I'm lamenting. I'm wanting, and I'm sorry because I don't have it. Linda Bodhi is just always, my dear Krishna, what can I do for you? you know? And please give me the resources to serve you. Other than that, I have no need. You see. So typically, Krishna will give the devotee far more than he asks. He'll give you far more resources than you, than you material resources than you need. Out of love. You're, th you're saying, Krishna, I need nothing. I need resources to serve you, and that's it. And Krishna says, oh, so much, take this. You see. And you're thinking, oh, wow, this is so much, Krishna. You've given me more than I need. So that means I'm going to have to serve you harder. I'm going to have to work harder to serve you. You see how it works? The guru can give you Krishna. By the mercy of Krishna, one gets guru. By the mercy of guru, one gets Krishna. You see. And material perplexities are there, but we see them in a different way. We're not so agitated. You see. We're not so bothered. Any questions or comments? Any question? Um, Criticism? Yeah. Um, how do you, like, I hear a lot about Maya, <laughs> you know, and then so even when you're trying to seek your spiritual master or guru or something like that, what are things that can happen in order um, so you don't get kind of confused or, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Maya gets blamed for a lot. You know, it's just like poor Satan. Satan gets blamed for a lot of things. And <laughs> Satan made me do it. You know, different uh, villains. Mm -hmm. So Maya's job is to try to lead you from Krishna. That's she's a pure devotee and she's very good at what she does because she knows what's what's in your head. You know, so that's her job. However. When you surrender to Krishna, it's hands off. You see, Maya wants to influence you, but Krishna says, I'll deal with her or him. That's okay. She has surrendered to me. So back off. I'll test. You've done your testing and you're very good. If the soul turns away from Krishna, then it's okay, Maya. She's yours or he's yours. But as long as you're aspiring to please Krishna, to serve Krishna, he does the testing. You see. In a very sweet way. It may not always seem sweet, but it is. So, choosing a guru. Be careful not to choose uh, a guru uh, in such a way um, as to be popular. In other words, don't let choosing a guru become a material process. You know, well, if I'm going to have a guru, he's got to be well, he's got to be one that everybody else, when I they'll say, who is your guru? And I say, so-and-so, Maharaj. And they'll go, oh, whoa, really? Oh. You know, because that puts me back in, I want fame, I want distinction. See, guru is a matter of heart. You know? uh, Guru-disciple is a connection of two souls, two hearts. When one feels that they're enlivened, 
by their guru or perspective guru. You see, um, after Srila Prabhupada left, <clears throat> there was uh, so many people that I had preached to that had become devotees, and they yet they hadn't been uh, initiated yet by Srila Prabhupada. So they asked me, well, now that Prabhupada is gone, what do I do? And I said, well, there are disciples of Prabhupada that are initiating. And they said, well, we don't know any of them. Who do you recommend? And uh, I said, I recommend someone who will be uh, tough spiritually. I don't recommend you go with someone that you think is easy. You see. Because if I was born in the darkness of ignorance, you know that prayer? Om I was born in the darkness of ignorance. That means I didn't know anything. Now, I might know how to tune up a car. I might know how to balance a, a bank account. I might know so many things. But as far as spiritual life, I, I was in the darkness of ignorance. I knew nothing. But my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. He gave me the first knowledge. So if you're in darkness, then uh, how, can, how can you choose a guru that you feel will fit your mindset? I'm crazy. I'm in Maya. I'm in illusion. You see? If, if I had followed that, then I would have chosen a guru that would uh, uh, get intoxicated and play rock and roll. You see? Some guru would come along and said, Hey, Jivananda, you don't have to go that AC Bhakti Vedanta Swami. You don't have to give up all this. Be my disciple. You know, I'm into Led Zeppelin. You see? I think, Whoa, you're a lot easier to deal with. You know, than this this other guru. You're so much. Oh, I like you better. Yes, yes, you're my guru. You see. So we have to be careful not to choose on the basis of materialism. We have to figure out who can take me back to Godhead. You know, someone who will give me Krishna. You see. Uh, so we have to think like that. It's a very uh, a very important decision. It's a very wonderful process to find a guru. See, who is who is my spiritual master? Who is giving me Krishna? So you can listen to um, uh, recordings. You know, nowadays you can see so many on, on YouTube or wherever. There are many uh, videos as well that you can see. Uh, travel. When you go to India, you see so many. You know, everybody comes through Mayapur and Vrindavan, so you get to see so many. Take your time and make your choice properly. You don't have to take a long time. You may find a guru and you say, oh, oh, you're the one. I believe that you are the one. I f you feel this connection. But, you know, it's not good to say, well, you know, I want one that's kind of laid back. You know, I don't want one that's going to be saying, you know, get out there and serve Krishna, or do this, do that. I, I don't want one that's going to change a whole lot of stuff in my life. You know, you know that's 
because a whole lot of stuff in my life is nonsense. You know, I was born in the darkness of ignorance, you know. So uh, we have to search out that, um, that groove that we feel can deliver us. And you'll feel the love. You'll feel the love in your heart. So I recommended these to, to these devotees. Uh, I recommend someone who will be very strict. Very strict. Because this is serious business. And they said, really, who is that? And I said, I recommend to all Krishna Goswami. I think he's strict. And so they approached Mal Krishna Goswami and they became initiated. And that was, I don't know, 30 something years ago. They're still devotees. Their children are devotees and their children's children are devotees. You see? So they made the right choice. And they, were, they never, ever regretted it. But he was tough, he was strict. And they loved every minute of it. So, uh, uh, and it's something that you may need to ponder for a pretty good while. You may have to discuss this with people that uh, that you have faith in more than once. Or you may feel like I've met. As soon as you see, you may say, "Oh no, I already know." But I want to look around a little bit. But I think I already know. See, and bring in Krishna. Just say, oh, Krishna, please help me. You know, Krishna, why do you think, do you think Krishna's going to say, oh, you're on your own? Please, Krishna, help. I'm a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. Always remember this verse. This is a, a, a verse we should read often. We should get to know at least the English translation. Or Arjuna saying to Krishna, you know, I don't know at all what's best for me. Because of my miserly weakness, meaning because I'm thinking of me, I, me, and mine, I'm confused about my duty. I don't know at all what's best for me. And he's intelligent enough to know that he doesn't know what's best for me. So he's saying, my dear Lord Krishna, now I am your disciple, and a soul surrendered to you. Please instruct me. So that's the way we approach Guru. But before we do that, Hare Krishna for a Hare Krishna. Before we do that, we do the same to Krishna. My dear Lord Krishna, I, I want to serve you. Please send me your pure devotee. Please send me. And Krishna will say, oh, I can do that. Please send me who is right for me. Let me know. Somehow or other, let me know. Bring in Krishna. He's the biggest resource we have. You know, he's standing there ready to help us. He really is. Being Krishna conscious means being conscious of Krishna. So Krishna never leaves us. He's always there. You see. So we just have to turn to him. Say, my dear Lord, please help me. Please help me. If I need to serve Krishna, Krishna is the source of everything. So I need some resources to serve you, my, my dear Lord. So please send me this and please send me that. If that's your desire, if that would be your desire for me, then that's, that's what I need. That's what I request. You see, being conscious of Krishna, always.
always turning to Krishna for help. Okay. Well, it's almost eight o'clock. I think we got started a little bit late. Should we wrap it up? And uh, are there any more questions or anything? Yes. When you talk about Krishna helping us, are you talking materially or spiritually? Both. Both. Yeah. Both. It's just like um, when you travel through India, you see many Indian temples. Um, you go in the temple and they have uh, Radha and Krishna in the center. They have all the demigods in there too. You've seen like you've seen like yeah. that. They have everybody. They've got Shivaji, they've got Ganeshji, they've got Durga, and they have so much they have. They're worshiping. They may have Radha Krishna, but um, and they respect Radha and Krishna, but they want material gain. And they're approaching Lord Shiva, you know, Durgaji, you know, they're approaching like that. Because I think I can go to Lord Shiva and, and want some material gain and he'll give it to me. Now I know Krishna will too. But boy, Krishna is going to end up getting into my heart. You know, I mean, Krishna's going to, when you get close to Krishna, you got this love interaction happening, see. And I really want money. I'm wanting fame, profit, adoration, distinction. I'm not really wanting to fall in love with God. I just want the stuff. You see, I want the money. So if I go, I mean, and, and, and even many Indians know, well, the demigods only get it from Krishna. But if I go deal directly with Krishna, I'm going to end up falling in love with this Krishna. And I'm going to forget about my material desires, and I don't want to do that. You see? Krishna will give you, he'll give you your material desire. What is the, there are um, four, four pious people, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. Four pious, four types of pious people surrender unto me. Those who are desperate, those who are inquisitive, those in search of the absolute truth, and those who want money. You want money? God's got money. He's got all the money. Krishna says that's pious. Well, he knows it. You start hanging around with me, you're going to fall in love with me. You know. Well, I'll give you money. Krishna says, I got money. Here, take. And then here's this love affair. You know, you're looking at Krishna like, oh, Krishna, you're so wonderful. And the money he gave you is laying there. You don't even notice it. <laughs> Krishna says, what about the money? He'll say, what money? Oh, the money. Oh, yeah. Well, I wanted it for this and that, but I wanted to use it to serve you. You see? So we can approach Krishna for money, but that's very dangerous. Because he's going to steal your heart if you get very close. It's just like if you get paper close to fire, it's going to catch on fire. If you get too close to Krishna, you're going to be overcome with love. That's not the duty of Ganesh. I thought Ganesh was materialism and money and... Ganesh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I thought they worshipped Ganesh if they wanted 
Money. Money, yeah. yeah. But that's Krishna, though, isn't it? No, that's a demigod. It's like a department head. Yes. You know. But Ganesh has no potency outside of Krishna. Even Lord Shiva, he has... Shiva comes from Vishnu. Vishnu becomes Shiva, isn't it? No, no, Shiva. Yeah. Yeah. The first the, the Prabhupada says, some people may say, yes, but Shiva came from Vishnu. Shiva, Vishnu became Shiva. Prabhupada says, you can take milk and turn it into yogurt, but you can't take yogurt and turn it into milk. So yes, Shiva came from Vishnu. Vishnu became Shiva, but Shiva cannot become Vishnu. See, so Lord Shiva, while he's very special, he's very wonderful, he's, he's also known as Mahadev. Maha, great, greatest, Deva, devotee. He's the greatest devotee. Greatest devotee of who? Krishna. Let's see. He's the greatest devotee. So, while well, as uh, Lord Shiva or, or Ganesh, they can give you so much. Lord, it said Lord Shiva is very easily pleased. He's also very easily angered. You see, so we can approach like that and say, "Please give me." And we can, if we please the demigod, we'll get, you know, we'll get the uh, the desired result. But also. Krishna is there, but we're going to get confused dealing with Krishna. We're going to forget. You, you, you see Krishna and you, you think, oh, my dear Lord. And Krishna says, oh, now what do you really want? You, you came to me and you wanted wealth and fame, adoration, distinction. Now that, now that we are together, what is it that you really want? And you say, oh, Krishna, all I want is you. I want you. That's happened. Dhruva Maharaj. You know the story of Dhruva Maharaj? You know that story? Yeah. Yeah, Dhruva Maharaj. When he was a little boy, his... Um, he is star. It's a star. He becomes a star eventually. Yeah, story, eventually. Yes. But he, when he was a little boy, he went, to, he went to sit on his father's lap. Yes, but yes. he was the son of one of the kings. He was the son of the king. He was the son of. He was not the son of the preferred favorite wife of the king. The king had many wives, and so to keep his preferred favorite wife happy, uh, there were uh, uh, Dhruva Maharaj went and jumped on his father's lap, and one of her sons was approaching. And he pushed him off, and he took the other son. And it broke Druva's heart. He thought, no, I, this is terrible. And out of revenge, someday I will have enough money to buy my father's kingdom. I will own my father, you see. So out of this determination for revenge, he's hurt. He went to the forest, and he started to chant. You know what he chanted? Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And his chanting was so pure because he was intent 
he chanted for six months. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. I mean, not stopping. You know, no eating, no nothing. He just took that, he took that uh, potency within him to chant, and its desire just boiled. And then, after six months, he felt the presence of someone there. So he opened his eyes, and there stood Krishna. And Krishna said, "My dear boy, you have pleased me tremendously, and I am willing to give you anything you want." Well, Dhruva wanted everything. He wanted this whole world. If I own the whole planet, I'll kick my father and his wives off. So he's looking at Krishna. Krishna says, you have pleased me, my dear boy. I'll give you anything you like. And he said, my dear Lord, now that I've seen you, I want nothing but you. I just want you. I want to never forget you. Krishna says, granted. And then Krishna gave him his own planet. His planet is the North Star. That's Dhruva. That's Dhruva Loka. The North Star. Krishna was so happy. Now he wanted everything. But he gave it all up. I just want you. So Krishna says, alright, you can have me. But I'm also going to give you the topmost planet. You see. So you, you give up your material desire. <laughs> and Krishna gives you far more than you were asking for. I have a tough one for you. Is it wrong to be uh, set, uh, to be uh, physically attracted to Krishna? I mean, to want to make love to him? Uh, we don't really understand in our current position. We don't fully understand uh, the process of love. We don't fully understand uh, sexual. Are you talking about in a sexual yeah, yeah, way? physical relationship. We don't understand that everything that's, that's here in the material world is a perverted reflection of something in the spiritual world. So my material mind can't fathom what that type of activity is in the spiritual world. I don't know what, it, what it's like. All I know is that uh, the reflection that we have in this material world is a perverted reflection, you yeah. see. And it also can bind you and drag you down, you see. But to be affectionate with Krishna, uh, why not? One of the uh, uh, rasas or relationships that we have with Krishna is conjugal love. You see, mm -hmm. if your desire and your spiritual position, we all have a spiritual position. That when we go back home, we will take up that position. Spiritual. Spiritually. Spiritual. It could be conjugal love. Like the gopis. The gopis, Srimati Radharani and all the gopis, and there are innumerable gopis who serve Krishna. They have con conjugal love. We don't understand but the spiritual uh, manifestation is of that. We know it's something really good. <laughs> but we, or you can be Krishna's friend. You can be his parent. Or you can be neutral. Kind of like a friend. 
you know, you're associating with, with Krishna, but you're kind of neutral with him. This neutrality is hard for me to understand. I've, I, I understood it at one time, but I, I can't remember how to explain it well. But, so there are different rasas that are there. So, but there's nothing wrong at all. So everything, there's everything right with us wanting to approach the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, and embrace him, to hug his neck, hold his hand, to kiss him. You know, to, can you imagine kissing Krishna on the cheek? I can't imagine that. Can you imagine hugging Krishna? And you're hugging, and you're hugging like this, and, you're, and he's hugging you, and you're like, oh, Krishna. And you're like, I smell his hair. Wow, his hair is so far out. You know, you'd just be wrapped up in, in Krishna. I have, I have Krishna in my arms. And you would be thinking, oh, I don't want this to ever end. And he's going to be thinking the same thing. Oh, I don't want this to ever end. I have you in my arms. This is so wonderful, Krishna. Because we're all special to Krishna. It's like we were, we've discussed before. Uh, every living entity is special. We're all the same, but yet at the same time, we're unique. We're spiritual. So we, this achintya beta beta tattva applies to us in many ways as well. We're simultaneously one thing and different. We're all exactly made of the same material as spirit souls. You see, we're all part and parcel of Krishna. So we are made of what a Krishna is made of. So that means I'm made of the same thing as you and you. We're all made of the same substance. If you could have a spiritual laboratory and examine the makeup, we're all exactly made of the same thing. But it's just like snowflakes. Snowflakes are all made out of frozen water. But no two snowflakes are alike. They're all completely different. So at the same time, they're the same and different. So the living entities like that. Every one of us, and there are innumerable living entities, but every one of us has a special, specific relationship with Krishna. You see, it's not like you're one of a crowd. You know, like if... Uh, if the president came to San Antonio, we went to see him. We may be way in the back. There may be 50,000 people. Of course, he's not so popular right now. There may be 5,000 people. But you see what I mean? You know. But you're one of many, and you're waiting to see him. You know. Hey. Yeah. Is he looking? Oh God. What can I do to? Look? And if you get too wild, the Secret Service will arrest you because you're trying to. You know. But it's not like that. There are innumerable living entities, but there's no waiting line. You have Krishna. You have Krishna. Everybody has Krishna. It's like the gopis in the, in the, in the rasa dance when they were dancing. Every gopi was dancing with Krishna. There were 108 gopis. Every one of them was dancing with Krishna. Every one of them thought, I'm the only one. Krishna's dancing with me. I don't know what the other girls are doing. So Krishna has, so you're special. You have a special relationship with him. And he loves it. He likes it. And he wants it back. 
You know, we've decided to go on this sojourn through the material world and see what we can find here that might equal him or maybe be better. And that's okay. He's not angry. But he sure is eager for you to come back and take up that relationship because it's sweet. It's sweet for you. It's sweet for him too. You see. He'd like to resume. So that's why uh, the living entity is, as far as we, whatever we desire, if we desire to go away from Krishna, if we start thinking, like if you want to be an atheist, Krishna will give you the faith to be an atheist. When you want Him, He will give you the faith to achieve Him. As a matter of fact, you take one step towards Him, He takes at least ten towards you. You see. So He never forces, but He's eager. Does that make any sense? All right. Have you guys had enough? Are you hungry? Did you bring your appetite? How about you guys? Are you hungry? Hungry for Krishna. Well, we, while we were talking so long, those guys ate all the food. <laughs> it's all gone. 